Welcome back to Sensitivity Sessions. Today, let's talk about being anxious versus being highly sensitive and how these things can overlap. What does anxiety have to do with being highly sensitive? If anything, is it the same as being highly sensitive? Are there any differences? These are a lot of questions that I get both in my work as a therapist and also as someone who coaches highly sensitive people. So there is definitely some nuance here, and there does also tend to be some overlap between the experience of being anxious and highly sensitive. Let's get into what makes high sensitivity different from anxiety, how those things can interact together, and what might make highly sensitive people experience more anxiety and how we can be aware of some things that actually might be increasing our anxiety without our knowledge. So what is anxiety? Let's just define that real quick. For me, anxiety is typically focused on the future and a fear-based sense of the future. So we're typically finding ourselves overthinking, we're thinking about what ifs, what could happen in the future, and we might be having a really uncomfortable physical response to all of that. When we're anxious, there's typically physical response. We tend to have some discomfort maybe in our stomachs, maybe we feel like our throat is tightening. Or we may feel like our brains are so overloaded that we can't think another thought or the racing thoughts. Anxiety is completely different from being a highly sensitive person, which is a genetically influenced trait that's present at birth, which the research has indicated 20 to 30 percent of all people on Earth share this trait. And it's not a disorder, it's not a diagnosis, it's a temperamental sensitivity with everyone on Earth falling somewhere on a continuum of sensitivity from highly sensitive all the way down to low sensitivity. So that's what high sensitivity is. And it can look similar to anxiety and highly sensitive people can definitely experience anxiety, although it's not automatically a part of being highly sensitive. So why might highly sensitive people experience anxiety? Well, there are a few different reasons. One is a lot of highly sensitive people are much more tuned into their bodies and their physical state. So if something is a little bit off, they might notice that more than your average person. There's lots of jokes about, whoa, look out, highly sensitive person is hangry for very good reason. Because we're deeply, deeply impacted by our physical states, even if we're not really consciously aware of that. So if we, for instance, have a little bit of a racing heartbeat, then we might be more likely to interpret that feeling as anxiety because so much of anxiety is somatic that even if we aren't feeling anxious, the very physical sensations that go along with that, like maybe you're going for a run and you're getting out of breath because you're exerted and your heart is racing, it can be really easy for your brain to go, oh, I'm anxious because these things are happening because you're so much more aware of that interoception as a highly sensitive person, those the feedback points from your body. Now, this is not to say that every single highly sensitive ex person experiences this. With everything I'm going to say today, of course, every experience is individual, especially if you're highly sensitive and also have a co-occurring neurodivergence, then your experience might be a little different. So just take everything with a grain of salt and know that this is general and doesn't apply to every single person. So another reason highly sensitive people might experience anxiety, maybe more than your typical person who isn't highly sensitive, is because we're such deep processors. It's such a key part of being highly sensitive. So that means that we take in information more thoroughly, we process it in more depth, 
than average people. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. Because we're processing things more deeply, we tend to be more self-reflective as well about our experiences. We're thinking more about things that have happened in the past. We're connecting them to our current lives today. And also we tend to think about the future more. We tend to think about the future maybe more positively as well as more negatively. So planning for the future, worrying what could happen in the future, as well as anticipating things that we're looking forward to. And all of this living more in the past and the future, which is a way that Elaine Aaron has described high sensitivity, that we're more in the past and we're more in the future than most people, is that we can get more anxiety from it. The reason for that being that we're not in the present moment as much. We tend to live in our heads more because we're deeply processing and it's easy to get up here and get thinking about things. And for some people that can be deeply pleasurable, especially if you're an autistic, highly sensitive person, thinking and focusing on facts and the breadth of knowledge that you have about facts can be incredibly soothing and comforting. So being in your head as a highly sensitive person, and even though you have the ability to be deeply tuned in your physical sensations, you might not be because we tend to live in our heads more as well. So when we live in our heads more, we're not in the present moment as much. We're dropped into our bodies. We're not experientially focused on what's happening in the here and now. And it can be really easy for us to be, you know, five years ahead in the future or thinking about what we're going to be doing tomorrow. And that easily leads to anxiety. And this can be really related to overthinking because as highly sensitive people, not everyone, but a lot of us really need to take our time making decisions. We need to carefully consider all the facts and that can lead to overthinking very quickly. We like to have a lot of the information, maybe all the information, in order to make a decision or make up our minds about something even and how we feel about something. And so we can really get stuck in these loops of overthinking about things, or literally thinking about things where we feel stuck in, in this downward spiral that we can't get out of. And then that typically pairs with that physical anxiety I was talking about where we're feeling those really uncomfortable sensations too. What we might not think of is how this tendency to live more in our heads, a tendency to be more aware of our own physical sensations and deeply processing things around us, it can lead to anxiety and it can also lead to overstimulation, which is a cousin to anxiety is how I think of it. If your experience as a highly sensitive person is being more deeply aware of everything around you, then it's easy to get very overstimulated because you're taking in all of that information you're deeply processing it, and it can be easy to feel very overloaded by that, which feels remarkably like physical symptoms of anxiety, or even the more mental symptoms of anxiety, where we have the racing thoughts, we find ourselves very irritable and on edge. Sometimes it might not be anxiety, it might actually be overstimulation. So we need to be aware of that really subtle difference as well, where with overstimulation, you might tend to feel it either gradually or all of a sudden, but it's typically in response to too much going on around you. And that's different for every person. You could be in the middle of a quiet library and feel overloaded. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a loud environment, although you will probably tend to feel overloaded much more quickly in an environment like that. So when you're taking in all of the sensory data from outside you and your surroundings, you're also aware of what's happening within your body and your own thoughts, your emotions, as well as 
likely the thoughts that people are expressing and the emotions that people are sharing with you, it's a whole lot to process. And the lives of many of us are not really suited to naturally taking the downtime or the space that we might need to be able to make that processing time for ourselves. So what do I mean by that? We're typically getting up, going to work, school, wherever we have to be first thing in the morning. And that usually is a big hurry. That can be overstimulating on its own. And then you're straight into your day of likely a busy day doing all the things that you have to do before coming home and having responsibilities there. And that's a typical day for most of us. But at the same time, it doesn't allow for any space. There's not any space to just be, to just zone out or just to think or to reflect in any way, which are things that we need as more highly sensitive people. So I'm certainly not saying this doesn't fit in your life. Set aside an hour to journal every day. That's really not feasible for a lot of us, especially if you have caregiving responsibilities or you're a parent or if you have a chronic illness. These just may not be things that are available to you. But there are ways to carve out time where you can experiment with reducing the load of possible overstimulation and see if what you've been perceiving as anxiety reduces too. So you could try to prioritize getting outside, feeling the sun on your face. I'm looking out right now and there's snow coming down, so it would be feeling the snow on my face today. But, you know, that's good too, just being out in nature and experiencing the sensations of being in nature is really, really healing for HSPs. Being in nature is very resetting, very grounding, um, whether it's anxiety or overstimulation. But think of this maybe as a little bit of an experiment to see, is this overstimulation that I'm experiencing or is this anxiety? So if you notice that if you're taking this extra time for yourself, whether it's maybe you do 10 minutes of journaling or you are letting yourself do some free drawing where you're just scribbling some colors or shapes on doodling on a piece of paper, whatever comes to you. Maybe you drive around and listen to music if that's how you process best. Maybe you're taking a walk outside without listening to something so you can be more mindful and present. However you do this, see if it makes any change in your day-to-day -day of how overwhelmed you might feel, of how physically anxious you might feel, and sometimes it might be more overstimulation than anxiety. Not everyone has access to something like a sensory deprivation tank, but I do hear that they can be extremely effective for reducing overstimulation that comes from too much sensory input. So maybe give that a whirl too if you're into that, if you're adventurous, and if you have something like that near you. But you can get creative as well with reducing the sensory input for yourself, whether that's wearing noise-canceling headphones, whether that's laying in a darkened room for 15 minutes if you have that availability when you get home from work or another time just thinking of cocooning yourself somewhat in whatever way works for you, maybe a weighted blanket so that you can reduce the load of sensory input that's coming in at you all the time. So maybe you tend to turn on the TV right away when you get home from work or you tend to have noise going through the house. And again, there's some ways that we can't control this. For instance, if we're parents, that's really difficult to control the noise level, but maybe that looks like wearing those noise-reducing earplugs like Loop. I hear those are an awesome solution for that. Or maybe it looks like not blaring the TV for an hour and just letting yourself have some more quiet or playing some music that you enjoy instead that's going to be in the background and you're not going to be overly focused on the words. It looks different for everyone, but the sensory overload that can happen 
and overstimulate us can create feelings of anxiety. So it's a little bit of a chicken or an egg situation. Now, another reason that highly sensitive people can feel anxiety is because of how tuned into other people we tend to be. So again, part of sensory input, we're aware of other people's emotions typically and their body language, but we also tend to be more attuned to people as highly sensitive people. The fMRI brain studies that have been done in highly sensitive people have indicated that there is a definite pattern of neural activity in the brain, in the areas of the brain that are implicated in the parts of the brain that have to do with social engagement, have to do with being interactive with other people. Research has concluded from that that highly sensitive people find it more rewarding to be in social relationship. It doesn't mean necessarily that we're all extroverted. 30% of us are extroverted. It does mean that we likely do find social interaction more rewarding than the average person. In my opinion, this does not exclude people that are neurodivergent in other ways that it might present differently. A lot of HSPs are notorious for hating small talk, and this is something that also translates to a lot of other neurodivergent folks as well. The meaninglessness, the awkwardness of making small talk is often really physically painful for us as neurodivergent people. It's not something that we tend to enjoy that's not finding a deep connection and reciprocity with social relationships. But if it's something that is a deeper topic where you really feel like you can get to know the person or get into something that is a mutual interest, then it can feel very, very rewarding. So that's a wonderful strength that we have as highly sensitive people. And the flip side of that can be that we become really invested in uh, how someone is perceiving something, their experience of us, or wondering what their experience might be, and perhaps feeling overly responsible for it. So that can be some of the dark side here, because we pick up so easily often on other people's nonverbal cues, on other people's little nuances and pauses in how they say things. We may over-attribute things to them and think, for instance, that they're angry with us, that they're not enjoying the conversation, or we may start to actually feel in our own bodies some of what the other person is going through, especially if we're particularly empathic, which is different from being empathetic. And being empathic, some people might call it being an empath. Some people might call it part of being high sensitivity. I really personally don't care what you call it, but it is the ability to be able to sense in your body at a very physical level or a very emotional level what someone else is feeling. You can think of it as a social or emotional contagion. There's many theories and ways that we can think about this, but the crux is that you can experience what someone else is experiencing within your own field or your own body. And that's contrasted with being empathetic, where you can either put yourself in someone's shoes or you can think how you would feel in that situation, whether that's at a feeling level or whether that's at more of a cognitive level. That would be empathy. But being empathic is you're literally experiencing a part of what they're going through. And it can be extremely uncomfortable and extremely overwhelming, especially if we grew up in a situation where we needed to be really attuned to other people for survival. Not saying that being empathic is caused by trauma, but there are situations where that natural attunement, that natural empathic ability is going to absolutely be more reactive than if you didn't have a traumatic experience. 
And this can cause quite a bit of anxiety for us for a couple of reasons. So because of the overstimulation front, it can be overstimulating to be wondering, are these my feelings that I'm feeling? Are these someone else's? Or, whoa, that's really heavy. Now I feel like I'm carrying this from the other person or I'm worrying about what their experience is. We can also get really in our heads about that, which is the straight up anxiety part of that, where we're wondering, what are they thinking of me right now? Did I say the right thing? Did I just put my foot in my mouth? Do they want to see me again? All of these things that we're thinking while we're having the conversation with someone. So it may be hard to be in the present and focused on what the other person's saying. Having space to respond to them, we may find ourselves already thinking of what we're going to say to respond and wanting to craft either the perfect thing to say or something to say that is good enough. And that takes us out of the present moment of connecting with another person, which produces anxiety. And one final sidebar, being attuned to other people. So a pitfall that we can fall in as highly sensitive people is prioritizing other people's needs at the expense of our own. So especially when we are more empathic and we can sense what other people need or we can sense their emotions, we can actually become incredibly over-responsible for other people's experience, especially if you've been in a situation growing up where you really needed to be the emotional regulator for a home or you needed to be the mediator between your parents or maybe between a sibling that was the one acting out the symptomatic kid in the family and you felt like there was no space for you to have emotions. If you've been in a situation like that or similar, then it is much more likely that you would tend to feel overly responsible for other people's emotions. And when we can feel other people's emotions or we can pick up on their nonverbals and we start to experience those ourselves, it can make us very uncomfortable. And we may want it to stop just because we want ourselves to stop feeling so uncomfortable as well. There's nothing bad about that. It doesn't make you a bad or a selfish person if that's your experience, but it does mean that there's some over-responsibility taken there and the good news with that is that we can definitely shift that and it's not something that we have to be stuck in forever. Beginning to build an awareness of that in general, of when am I taking more responsibility on than I need to? Is this really my responsibility to fix this for someone? Or should I let them make their own decisions and live their own lives? Maybe you find yourself worrying about the weight of the world, all of the awful things that legitimately are happening in the world that you feel powerless against. That's another common thing that might happen for a lot of highly sensitive people. We are taking on these immense things that by ourselves we really, quite frankly, can't do anything about. So it's an opportunity for us to check in and even ask ourselves really directly, is this something that I can influence or change? Is this something that I should be trying to influence or change? Or is is there a way that would feel good for me to influence or change this? If it's world issues and you find yourself really, really upset, understandably, about a lot of the awful things that are happening either in our country or our world, finding ways that you can get involved even at a community level can be a way that you're doing something. So sometimes taking action can be really good for anxiety and neutralizing that. But at the same time, it can take some time to distinguish between what is an action that would be helpful to take? And when are we being overly responsible for something that actually isn't our responsibility? So these are some of the main reasons, in my experience, why highly sensitive people might experience anxiety. And again, extremely quick highlights reel of those points are 
being more in touch with our physical sensations, being more easily overstimulated and overwhelmed, the depth of processing feature of high sensitivity, which increases all of that sensory input and the ability to be more attuned or more empathic with other people and some of the sticky bits of that. Let's talk briefly about ways that we can proactively manage anxiety. And some of these are going to overlap with how you'd manage overstimulation or discharge that, looking at how packed is your day, how overstimulating is that, because that absolutely will directly increase anxiety. What are some practices that you can have sprinkled throughout your week? Maybe you enjoy yoga or maybe you enjoy running or walking or some other activity that involves moving your body. Maybe you like hula hooping, swimming. Now, that's obviously if you are completely able-bodied and you don't have any kind of a physical disability. If that is the case for you, then any way that you can become mindful of your body and not in a way where it's like tuned into the sensations that you're feeling, you might notice that and let that pass without trying to attach to it too much. But putting yourself in a different location, going outside if you can and feeling the breeze on your face, being mindful about what does that feel like? What do I notice right now that my body is is feeling in this new environment? Also, breath work is incredibly powerful for anyone. So that is a way that we can move our body in a very internal sense. So if we can focus on taking a deep breath through the nose and breathing all the way into your diaphragm, or you can think about it like breathing in until you see movement in your stomach. So you can literally put your hand in your stomach and breathe in until you feel your stomach push out and then breathe out and imagine that your belly button is going back towards your spine more. Those are ways that we can really promote calm and decrease anxiety because so much of the anxiety experience is physical and it's somatic. And of course, mindfulness and meditation can be amazing for anxiety as well because part of this is really just training our minds. We're kind of talking about doing some Jedi mind stuff at this point where we don't get as attached to the anxious thoughts that are happening. It's, it's not that we're saying that they're not true, although I know some people talk about thought stopping of, you know, stop that thought. I don't really love that personally, but if it works for you, absolutely do that. My approach that I prefer personally is more of a meditative one, of noticing the thoughts and trying to let them pass through your mind, acknowledging that they're there. Because if we try to stop something and we try to just push it down, it usually comes back even stronger and more powerfully. And it can even look like an obsession of some kind where it's an intrusive thought. So if we allow those thoughts to come through, no thought is bad, just thoughts are usually not true at some level. If we can recognize that, but allow the thoughts to pass through or practice seeing them like clouds moving across the sky of your mind, this is a great way long-term you can begin to train your brain not to attach so much to these anxious thoughts. There's a lot of great apps. You can use the Headspace app. They have guided meditations. Listen to white noise or pink noise and white noise mixed together can be really great just to listen to that. Binaural beats can be really great if you don't like traditional meditation, but you want to get some effects of that. What that does is it stimulates both hemispheres of the brain, which can be really beneficial. And on that note of bilateral stimulation, even walking can be really great for that because your eyes are scanning back and forth as you're walking, left to right, left to right, right to left, and back again. And that stimulation of both hemispheres of the brain, bilateral stimulation, is really wonderful overall for health. And something that is more long-term that you can start to be aware of 
is noticing when you're getting in that full state of either stimulation or anxiety. Maybe you start to talk really fast. You start to breathe less because you're talking fast. And you might even notice that there's a zinginess in your body up and down, which is your vagus nerve being very active at that point. If you notice that kind of zingy vertical feeling through your chest and upper body, that usually means that your vagus nerve is extremely active at that point. So if you notice that, you can start to realize those physical ways that you know that you're overstimulated or anxious. Then you can try to focus on lowering and slowing the cadence and tone of your voice. It helps to calm you. You can focus on breathing a little more intentionally and trying to ground yourself back into the present moment. So even literally putting your feet firmly on the floor planting them on the floor and you can imagine breathing in whatever color you want, like a golden light or a white light, breathing it in from the top of your head and bringing it in this visualization all the way through your body and letting it go out the soles of your feet. If you're a really visual person, that can be a very grounding visualization to do of breathing a colored light all the way from the crown of your head down through your body and through your feet. Or you can just focus on breathing as deeply and fully as you can. And if you find yourself really agitated, then it's best to not start right with deep breathing because you're in a really elevated state at that point. And so going straight to something like deep breathing is going to feel really jarring and actually maybe counterintuitively make it worse. So you want to focus on something movement-based at that point before you would try something like deep breathing or meditation. Those are if you're starting to notice that you're feeling a little overstimulated or a little anxious, but it's really heightened yet. So if it's really heightened, doing things that are more about getting energy out. So this might look like going for a power walk, or maybe you shake all your limbs out and bounce on your toes a little bit or bounce on the balls of your feet. This is a way that you can get some of that extra energy out because it's going to feel way too jarring to go straight into trying to meditate if you're really actively anxious. So think more of movement, move some extra excess energy, nervous energy through your body in those situations. It'll be much more helpful. So to recap all of this, anxiety can be a very prevalent thing for highly sensitive people. And while it's not the same thing as being highly sensitive and not all highly sensitive people are anxious, it is a really common experience for a lot of us to be anxious, either lifelong or for more critical, stressful parts of our lives. So if you can become aware of what overstimulation feels like for you, if it feels different at all from anxiety, and have some tools that work for you to help both bring anxiety down in the moment and also try to prevent it from ramping up and getting really bad, it can go a long way. So I hope this was helpful for you about the intersection of anxiety and high sensitivity. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. And I will look forward to talking with you next time on the next episode of Sensitivity Sessions. Bye for now.